Let's pray. Lord, thank you for thank you for today. Two thousand years ago, you demonstrated to us your power, and your followers were made aware at an even greater level of your power. Death itself cannot hold you down. You rose from the grave and now you're alive forever. You are a king forever. So Lord, I pray for this moment all over the, all over the world where pastors are standing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Lord, I pray for all the souls that are going to be hearing the gospel this morning. If they don't know Christ, that this morning as they hear the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for their sin and was raised three days later. If they don't know Christ, that they would see and understand the gospel and the beauty of it and put their faith in Christ and receive forgiveness of sins and be able to live with Jesus eternally in heaven. Lord, would you grant salvation this morning? Not just here in Remedy, but all over the city of Rock Hill and all over the states of North and South Carolina and all over this country and all over this world. Would you draw thousands upon thousands of people to yourself and let us share in with that. Let us rejoice in seeing that. And for those who already know Christ this morning, would you open up to them another view, another beauty of the gospel that, that maybe they've never seen, maybe they've never understood, and just overwhelm their hearts with gratitude and grace, stir their affections for Christ so deeply that it literally changes their life. 2,000 years ago, your followers' lives were changed on this day as they discovered their Savior had come back from the dead and lives forever. That changed their life. And will you change our lives this morning? We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we celebrate the resurrection. This is a quote from a book called Doctrine by Mark Driscoll. He says, if Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. If Jesus is alive, then Christianity is alive. The resurrection is absolutely central and crucial to everything we believe. 2,000 years ago, 12 men were following, and many women were following a man around for three years of their life. And he assured them that he was God in the flesh. And they saw, <clears throat> they saw this. They believed in him, and they were convinced that he was telling the truth. And as they followed him around, they saw amazing things. They saw healings take place before their eyes. <clears throat> they saw him bring people back to life. And he told them that he was a king. And that he was going to set up a kingdom. And they believed that. And they wanted that. 
For three years they followed him around, believing this. Three years. 1,095 days they followed him around, believing this. And after following him around, believing him to be God as he proclaimed, after three years of waiting for him to set up this kingdom and reign over everything, one Thursday night, late, soldiers came and arrested their king. The kingdom had not been set up yet. And they have no idea what's going on. By 9 a.m. on Friday, they can see their king being put to death on a cross. They had beaten him so badly with whips and sticks and their fists and spit on him and pulled his beard out. They spit on him and they beat him so badly that they could, even, they could barely even recognize his face. And in these moments, you have to believe that they're confused. Why, why is this happening? What about what he said? What about the kingdom? This is not the plan. They drive nine-inch nails into his hands and his feet. They hang him on a cross naked. And as men are walking by while he's on the cross, they're mocking him. And within six hours, the king that they followed around for three years was dead. Within six hours, three years of their life seemed absolutely meaningless. What happened to the kingdom? What happened to the king? What are we supposed to do now? Where are we supposed to go now? Three years of my life for nothing. Friday night comes. There's silence. There's fear. There's destitution. There's nothing. And then comes the Sabbath, the day of rest. Despair. Sadness. Longing for him to be alive. How could this happen? Confused. The first day of the week comes. Sunday. The Sabbath rest is over. Wanting so bad to go see his body and just weep over his death. A couple women go to prepare the body for burial, weeping to say goodbye to him, to have some bit of closure. And when they get there, they're walking near the grave. And the stone, the large stone that was covering, is gone. And they're thinking, what the world's going on? Why is the stone moved? We're supposed to come here and prepare his body for the king. Where is he? How could this happen? And who took him? And then... They were told a piece of information, a little bit of news that has thundered through the last 2,000 years. They said, the information they heard is this, he's not here. And if we just kind of stop there, he's not here, that doesn't thunder throughout history. But they hear this, he's not here, he is alive He's risen from the dead. Your king is alive right now. Resurrection has happened. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we come here every single Sunday. Because the grave is empty. The tomb has been rolled away. And he's not just gone. He's not just missing. Somebody didn't just take his body and we can't find it. He's alive forevermore. That's what we're here for. 
Resurrection has happened. Why is the resurrection so important to Christianity? Let me read to you just a couple quotes. Christianity is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at the heart. Remove it and Christianity is destroyed. The resurrection isn't just a part that we add on. It is absolutely everything. That's why we're here today. Because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He didn't just die on the cross to pay for our sins and that's it. He is resurrected. He's alive right now in heaven. Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration, our justification, and our resurrected bodies. That's what the resurrection has done. The resurrection causes us to bring people to the kingdom, focus on our future heavenly reward, and stop yielding to sin in our lives. The resurrection ensures that you can now not sin. You can march forward in sanctification, march forward in growing in holiness with absolute assurance that that sin can be gone in your life. That's what the resurrection has bought for you. Apart, This is Driscoll again. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Savior, no salvation, no forgiveness of sin, and no hope of the resurrected eternal life. No hope. The Apostle Paul says it this way, For if the dead are not raised, and if Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life we have only hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man is also by the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. That's the way the Apostle Paul has put it. The resurrection is absolutely crucial in our life. So why is Jesus' resurrection different than anyone else's? Because as we know, as we follow through some of the Gospels, we see Jesus resurrecting some people's life. Even Paul resurrected somebody from life. A, a man named Eutychus said he fell out of a third-story window. I can always remember his name because in, in uh, religion classes, it, he fell out of the third-story window. And, it's, and Eutychus, too, if you fell out of the third-story window and fallen. That's the way I remember it. But his name was And Paul just goes up and says, you know, Come awake. Paul taught for so long he fell asleep. Hopefully that doesn't happen today. But the guy fell out of the third story window. What's different about those resurrections than Jesus's? Because theirs is what's called as revivication. They came to life, but you know what happened? They died again. When Jesus came to life, when he was resurrected, never to die again. He's still alive right now at the right hand of the Father. He lives in heaven, interceding, ruling and reigning as king over the entire world. King over you and king over me. He did set up a kingdom. It's just that his followers in the first century didn't see it and understand it. He is king. So what's the point of dying such a horrible death? What's the point of that? Why are we gathered here celebrating a resurrection? Because if a resurrection happened in Christ's life, well, you know what happened before the resurrection? His death. He died. What's the point of this death? Which is a good question. We're going to get to it in a minute. 
I want to read to you a little bit of a story in Acts chapter 8. And that's going to take us to his death. In Acts chapter 8, this is after the resurrection had happened. After the resurrection, one of his followers named Philip was going through and um, he came upon an Ethiopian. This is in verse 26 and 8. And just listen to the story. Um, and then this story will take us to uh, Isaiah 53. But it says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And when he rose, he went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court, a fit, a, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all the treasure. And notice this, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, he wasn't a Christian yet, but you can already see that there's a correct attitude. There's going to be a couple things that God's going to use to draw this man into a knowledge of himself. The first is, he's already coming with the correct attitude. So, where are you this morning? Obviously, if you're here, it's been ordained by God that you would hear the gospel this morning. If you don't know Jesus, whether you have the right attitude or not, guess what? You're here. You've already come. It's not like you're still in bed hating what God's done. You're here. So if you don't know Christ, whether you want to or not, guess what? You already have somewhat of the right attitude. And this is what happened. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Well, that's just, that's just it. I mean, that's all it's going to take. You've already got the right attitude ready to worship. And now he's coming, reading the scriptures. Right attitude, God's going to use it. Coupled with the scriptures, we're going to see what happens. And then the Spirit said to Philip, so God himself intercedes in Philip's life. So all these things coming together for what we can call the perfect storm. And this is kind of just like Acts 10, like we looked at last week. We're going to see salvation. It says, go over and join this chariot. So the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and tells him, go over and join this chariot. So Philip, I mean, can we just see these words? Ran. When an opportunity to share the gospel has come to you, is this the kind of attitude you find yourself with? Or is it just kind of ho-hum, I'll make sure I find some time to maybe shoot them a text later on and ask them if they want to have coffee a week from now. No, no. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Now, don't be afraid to ask, if you're a believer, don't be afraid to ask questions to people who don't know Jesus. It's okay. Don't be afraid to ask questions. But also, you need to ask good questions. Ask good questions. Do you understand what you're reading? You didn't ask the creepy one, if you're going to die tonight, and I'm going to do it, do you know that you're going to go? I mean, that's just creepy. Don't do that. Like, Don't ask them if they're going to die tonight, if they're going to go to heaven. Ask good questions. Do you know Christ? Do you know the gospel? Do you understand why this happened? Not the the weird one about dying tonight. And then so, let's keep reading. And he says, uh, do you know what you're reading? And he said, how can I, this is awesome, unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Clear implications here in this. A couple clear implications. Number one. Christians need to be able to teach the truths of scriptures. How can I unless someone guides me? I'm reading these scriptures. I don't understand them. I need someone to teach me. You need to be able to teach the scriptures. Second implication, you need to be able to know the truths of the scriptures to be able to teach them. There's just a couple obvious things in there. And this is what happens. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading 
was Isaiah 53, which we're going to go to in a minute. It says, like sheep, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. And his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? It's a little bit different on that. I'm going to explain it in a second. For his life is taken away from this earth. So, so let's just flip over to Isaiah 53 and, and take a look at this. Now, um, Luke, as he's describing these events in Acts 8, um, quotes Isaiah 53, verse 7 and verse 8. But I want to backtrack to 5 because I believe that, you know, the Ethiopian unit wasn't just having a, a parchment that just had verse 7 and 8. I think he's actually got most of Isaiah. And so I want to backtrack to verse 5. And so as we're looking at these, I want to just kind of walk us through a little bit um, this text as we're, as we're kind of seeing what he's, at what he's seeing. Verse 5 says this, But he was wounded for our transgressions. From the, from the very moment... That creation ever happened from the very beginning, as I should say, even before creation happened, but from the very beginning, which is infinite, God had an eternal plan to save sinners. And his eternal plan was always to send his son to come and die for us. And here's what, he, here's what he's telling us in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. That means your sin and my sin. He was wounded for your sin and my sin. That's why Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? Because of sin. You might say, well, I didn't ask him to do that. It doesn't matter. He did it anyway. You might say, well, I don't believe that. Well, your belief doesn't change the reality of it. He still did it. You might say this. He was wounded for our transgressions. Well, I don't have transgressions. Sometimes we're not the best judge. Remember in middle school or high school, whenever we take a test and um, the teacher's going to, at the end, just let you keep them and it's going to say, we're just going to, uh, I, I love this part whenever I was, well, I still am a pagan, but even when I was a, a younger, deceitful, hearted guy, they would say, we're just going to uh, grade our tests on our own. <laughs> That's awesome for me. So I just took the test. I got all kinds of misses. Um, call out the answer, erase, put the right answer. Ah, oh, I got a hundred. Sometimes we're not the best judges of ourselves. When you say, well, I don't have any transgressions. I don't have any sin. Just like in middle school, whenever we want the best ones to grade our test, because we're obviously going to give ourselves a better grade, we're probably not the best ones to try to judge ourselves now. Let the scriptures read us. The scriptures have told us and made us aware that we are sinners. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. We should have been crushed because of our sin. We should have been crushed. The moment we sinned, the very moment we sinned, God should have destroyed us. That's what we deserve, but He didn't. He didn't do that. Instead, He decided to put all of the punishment on Christ, His innocent Son, and He did it for us. I mean, that just doesn't sound right. Someone who's innocent shouldn't receive the punishment for us. Why would he do that? Why would he put all of the punishment that was due for you and due for me on his innocent son? Because of his love. Because of his great love with which he loved us. He demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners... 
Christ came and died for us. This love is unbelievable. The sin in which you currently hold on to right now, the sin in which no one knows about, that you will do at one point that you might be planning this day or planning this week whenever no one's around, that sin which you desperately hold on to right now, out of great love for you, that you will have freedom from that sin and all your sin, He died. To free you from that. I've, I've been, I know what it's like. I, I can remember back in high school and college and even after that, having sin in my life, craving and desiring and pleading with God to take this away from me. I couldn't sleep. The guilt of my sin would keep me up um, keep me from going to, going to sleep and I would want it to go away. And then I started making concessions for it. Then I just started saying, well, it's not that bad. I started making excuses. And all I wanted was morning to come where I didn't feel any more guilt and I could start my day again. And you know what the scary thing was? Morning did come. And I didn't get freedom. It never goes away though. That's the thing. The peace that you long for, the healing that you want, if you don't know Christ, can be yours. Look at this, what it says in the rest of this. It says, Upon Him, the chastisement that brought us peace. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. This chastisement is probably one of the most crucial parts of His dying on the cross. Some of us have heard the story about Christ dying, Christ receiving punishment, Christ being basically butchered. They would take pieces of glass and bone and put it on a whip and whip it and it would kind of reach around his flesh and yank out his flesh and by the end of being whipped so many times, basically his backbone was exposed and then they took it and slammed him down on a wooden cross and they had beaten him so bad across his face with sticks and shoved a crown of thorns in his, eye, in his head and then lifted him up only to drop him down to fall down and his flesh be ripped on the cross and then literally with his feet being nailed he had to lift himself up just to get a breath and most people died on the cross from asphyxiation because they couldn't breathe we've heard all about all these physical things but Isaiah 53 points us to something a little bit deeper what could be deeper upon him the chastisement that brought us peace there was while he was on the cross not just these physical pains that he's feeling but there's a moment at noon when we see the sky goes dark from noon to three. And this is what most theologians, and as we read through the commentary, say that these were the moments where all the righteous anger and wrath of God started coming out and being poured out. Every sin you've committed deserved God's righteous anger. And He should have destroyed you. We've seen that. Right here, He was wounded. He was crushed. We should have been wounded. We should have been crushed. And what happened on the cross is that His righteous anger began to be poured out on Christ instead of you and me. And He began to crush His innocent Son. Verse 10 tells us, It was the will of the Lord to crush Him. From eternity past, this was God's plan to crush His Son. So the physical sufferings, yes, were bad. But in these next moments, we hear and see on the cross the chastisement. 
where all the righteous anger of God is being poured out on His Son. And we hear Him say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For all of eternity, I've always been in perfect communion with you. I've always known you intimately. If there ever was a person who always craved a deep relationship with His Father and always had a perfect relationship with His Father, perfect intimacy, it was Jesus. And in these moments, from noon to three, the chastisement became on Him. And for you and for me, in these moments, perfect communion with His Father has been removed. And all He can say is, Why have you forsaken me? Pointing to Psalm 22. Chastisement of the Lord. He got hell. But... Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. He gets the chastisement of God. We get peace and healing. (laughs) This is so beautiful. Now, as we look at the cross, we can have two reactions towards this. Depending on how the Spirit is drawing you. Depending on how... As you think about it, your reactions to it. For those that don't know Christ, I'm hoping that this isn't, but you may stay arrogant. You may stay intolerant. You may say, this is disgusting. This is so closed-minded. I'm apathetic towards this. I'm unfeeling. I'm callous. I don't care. I'm distant. I don't believe it. And that will mean you remain forgiven, unforgiven. But if the Lord is drawing you, if you are starting to see this reality of of the cross of Christ as something that you can have forgiveness, that you don't have to experience the wrath of God, but all of it has been poured on His Son for you, and now you can have forgiveness of your sin. You have, along with those who are Christ followers now, overwhelming amazement. And you're asking yourself, who am I that God would do this For me. Who am I? That he would do this for me. Complete astonishment that we can be forgiven. Being forgiven. And now. You're starting to see. What it is that all the Christians in your life have been talking about. And why they seem so giddy. When they start talking about Jesus. And the resurrection. And the life they have in Christ. And it says he was oppressed. I'm sorry, verse 6. All we have like sheep has gone astray. We have turned to His own way. And the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shears. He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment, He was taken away. Meaning, He had an unjust trial. Now this next part... These next little verses here in verse 8 are absolutely amazing, which bring us back over to Acts 8. It says, And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? Acts 8 says it a little bit different way in verse 33, 33, the second part. It says, Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away from this earth. It says in in, in, in this one, As for this generation, who considered... That he was cut off from the land of the living. 
Over here it says, who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. Those two things seem different. What's he saying? What's the point of this? Especially this first part where it says, as for his generation. And this says, who can describe his generation? Well, if you look into, and it's, I'm not going to get down into the Greek, but this is basically what, what's coming out to it. It's saying this. Who is going to tell his descendants? This generation is talking about actual people that are born after him in his line. But we know Jesus never married. We know Jesus never had any children. And so he's saying, who's going to tell his descendants? How are people that are related to him spiritually, how are they going to know? This is what it says. For his life has been taken away from the earth. And this part it says, he was cut off of the land of the living. Meaning, who is going to ch- tell Jesus' descendants because Jesus isn't on earth anymore? He's been taken up to heaven at the right hand of the Father. So how is it that his descendants that believe in him are going to hear? Because Jesus isn't here to tell them. And then verse 34 says, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom do I, I ask, do you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip and here it is. Here's the answer to the question. Luke is wanting you to see this in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. Philip opened his mouth. Just like we saw in chapter 10 last week. Peter opened his mouth. Cornelius brought everybody. We're all here to listen. Uh, Peter, tell us. Peter opened his mouth. Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the this, this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. And what is the good news about Jesus? Let me point you over to Luke's account. We're looking at Luke's account here in Acts after. Let's look at Luke's account um, of the resurrection. I'm in Luke 24. This is the good news about Jesus. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn... They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened, bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. That's the good news, the resurrection. And then it says this. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man, here's the gospel, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary and the mother of James and the other women with him who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping in and looking, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The good news of Jesus is that he has been resurrected, that he has risen from the dead, and now he appears, we see, to 500 people, and then he ascends up into the heavens with the Father. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us right now? We've, we've talked about his death. We've talked about it being for our sin. And we've talked about the resurrection. What do these things mean for us now? In Luke 24, he tells us, 
over in verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead. So there it is. There's the gospel. There's the objective facts of the the truth of Jesus Christ. What do we do? And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to His name and His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem and then on. So, based on Christ dying on the cross for your sins and my sins, based on the resurrection that He now lives in heaven forever, He did set up a kingdom. And you and I can have healing and peace because He bore all the wrath of God, the Father, for us. This is what we're to do. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. In John 11, Jesus, as He's still alive, says this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. And then He ends with this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because if you believe this, then you can have forgiveness of sin. This is where God is leading you. God has brought you here this morning for this purpose, for this moment, for this time. If you know that you are not in Christ, God has sovereignly brought you here this moment. As verse 47 says, to repent of your sin and be forgiven for your sin. Believe in the name of Jesus and His cross and you can receive forgiveness of your sins. This is why He died for us. This is why He is resurrected. For those of you who don't know Christ, this is what you should do this morning. For those of you who do, Acts 8 has been put together along with Acts, or Isaiah 53 and there's a, there's a clear implication for you. There's a clear application for you. Just like Philip, just like the rest of the apostles, based on the resurrection, you have been forgiven. You have been forgiven life. To now go, who's going to carry on His name? He's gone. You are. You are the ones now to go throughout your life throughout this world and spread His name and His fame. You are the ones that are going to be used by God to see the nations be converted. So where are you this morning? God is screaming right now to get your attention. Wherever you are. If you're outside of Christ, He's screaming for you to see the gospel, see the cross as payment for your sin, forgiveness for all the things that you've done, to come to Him and receive forgiveness, receive life. And for those of you that are Christians, He's screaming you at you now to start giving your life over. 2,000 years ago, whenever He came to life, the disciples' lives were absolutely changed. And in the same way, He's saying, this is how your lives should be utterly changed by the resurrection will you recognize this morning that you're a sinner against a holy God you didn't come here on accident this morning will you put your faith in Christ and receive forgiveness 
You can't just agree that Jesus died, that he lived and he died and believe facts. He wants you to worship him. God is right now in this moment entering into with you in a personal conversation if you don't know Christ. And he's calling you to receive forgiveness of sins. He's calling you to see the gospel, understand the gospel, know that you need forgiveness. You know just like I know, that we have sinned and we have fallen short. And that sin that's weighing on your shoulders right now, the sin that you feel like you can't ever receive forgiveness for, the thing that you think about all the time you want to be gone, those things can be forgiven right now in this moment by faith in Christ. He paid the price for you. So will you come to Him and repent? There's no reason, there's no excuse that it can't be today. Because the cross and the resurrection, in the, in the cross and in the resurrection, he has shown us that he has victory over Satan. He has victory over death. There's not a sin in this world that you have done that wasn't paid for at the cross. There's no number of sins that you can commit that can't be forgiven by Christ. And you can have life. The whole point of the resurrection, as Jesus has been raised from the dead and now he's alive at the throne, is to show you that you can have life. And one day, we will have a resurrected body. This body of sin, we won't be in anymore. This body will be perfected. Where death is your sting, where death is your victory, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have nothing to fear because of the resurrection. So in this moment, right now, God is entering in with you right now into a personal conversation. And some of you know that you have been running, that you have been avoiding the cross. The cross has seemed meaningless to you. The cross has seemed pointless to you. The cross has been something that you don't want to talk about, that you don't want to think on because it means you have to change your life. You know what? I'm not asking you to change your life. I'm asking you to have your life changed by Christ. Right now, this morning, this is the time. God is speaking to you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have seen and understood the cross this morning. Why He died, that you can receive complete forgiveness. There's no reason to continue on the path right now of death and destruction to receive the full fury of the wrath of God. You can be transferred into the kingdom of His Son. So as the Holy Spirit is coming into you, coming into your heart, teaching you to obey, showing you to receive forgiveness of sins, I'm begging you not to avoid it, not to push it off. You're going to have a moment as I'm praying to respond, to trust Christ, receive forgiveness of sin. You're going to have that moment in just a few moments. And I want to invite you, listen to me, don't, don't neglect the, the leading of the Holy Spirit right now. This is the time for you to have your life changed. Let's stand and pray. God, thank you for 
the cross where you bore all the punishment for our sin. Thank you for your death. Somebody had to die for sin. The price for sin had to be paid and it could only be paid by death. Blood had to be shed and you shed your blood for us. Thank you for the resurrection where you have demonstrated us demonstrated to us that we can have life. Lord, I know that you are speaking to hearts this morning. I know that you are drawing people to yourself this morning, this very moment. There, there are people in this room that don't know Christ, that run from Him, that think they can't have life. Maybe they've never understood the gospel. Maybe they thought they're Christians, but they look at their life and they know they deal with sin. They know they don't have peace. They, don't know, they know they don't have healing. And right now the Holy Spirit is driving deep into their heart and they know they need forgiveness. They know they need to put their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. So Lord, would you please... Lead them to trust Christ and receive forgiveness. Help them see they need forgiveness of their sin, repentance of their sin, and now walk with fullness of the Spirit, power, power by the Spirit to walk and live a life that glorifies you, no longer living in fear, no longer having to be constrained by sin, but free. Right now, you are leading people. You're regenerating hearts. And I pray, Lord, as you regenerate them, give them the boldness to make it known that they have put their faith in Christ. I invite you right now to repent from your sin and trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Repent right now. Just say that, Lord, I repent from my sin. I trust Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sin. I know that I have been living a life of sin and I need forgiveness. Right now, I want to start my new life in Christ this moment. And if this is you right now, even with your eyes closed, I just ask that you would do one thing for me. Put your hand in the air so I can know that you have put your faith in Christ. Right now, raise your hands up this morning that you have seen your need to repent and you've put your faith in Christ and you've believed in Him for forgiveness of your sin. For the very first time, you have crossed over from death to life. Continue to put your hands in the air right now so I can see. All of you, put your hands up. I want to see it. In just a moment, we're going to worship Christ through song. And what I want to invite you to do is this. For those of you that put your hand in the air, I want you to come back to the back. I'm going to be in the back. We'll have people in the back that will pray with you. Jesus Christ died on the cross publicly. And in these moments, I want you to step out and boldly come and let me pray with you. Let me talk to you about the decision you've made. If you need prayer, if you are already a Christian and you need prayer for anything, still come to the back. We want to be able to pray with you during this worship time. We want everyone to respond now. Especially those 
who raised their hand to come receive Christ this morning. Let me pray with you. And for those of you that still need prayer, if you are struggling and you just need help, you need forgiveness, you need someone to pray with you about the things going on in your life, then let's pray. Lord, in this time, I commend it to you. I give it over to you. I ask that you would be with us as we worship the risen Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, now as we worship, I pray that you would stir our affections for the risen Son, Jesus, who not only endured a physical punishment, but all the chastisement of the Lord was put on him for us on our behalf, and that you would stir our affections for this and drive us towards the cross, towards the throne of Jesus right now, and worship him in spirit and in the truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.